This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Welcome to the All Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. I had a successful career, an Ivy League education, and led a very rational life. Several years ago, I had a spiritual awakening, developed psychic gifts, and decided to dedicate my life to pursue my purpose and empower others. I'm hungry to learn even more about the incredible potential of the human mind and spirit. On this podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs, executives, scientists, and leaders to hear their stories of transformation, the science behind them, and what it means for you to unlock your potential in your life and career. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Welcome to All Possibilities. I'm your host, Julie Chan, and I am here today with a good friend of mine. Her name is Chati Chu, and she is a yoga instructor, a wellness enthusiast, and she's the founder of One Love Wellness. Chati, it's so great to have you on the show today. Hi, Julie. It's so great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So why don't you start off first by sharing what you do and how you got there. So I teach classes in New York City and workshops as well and also lead international retreats and I've been doing that for the last 15 years. And how I got to be a yoga instructor is kind of a interesting path um, and one that I still love to talk about even though it's been 15 years. So my life before teaching yoga, I was um, a spoken word artist and I had a one-woman show and was part of an Asian-American arts collective called Feedback. And we would tour around the country and perform spoken word. And I would perform in English and in Taiwanese. So my family is originally from Taiwan. I was born in this country, but grew up speaking Taiwanese in my home. And I performed a lot about identity, about family, about womanhood, about being Asian-American. And I identify as Taiwanese-American. And after shows, people would be like, oh, but you're Chinese. And I would say, well, no, I'm Taiwanese. But couldn't really articulate the difference. And so I decided to go to Beijing and live in Beijing for a year and learn Mandarin so that I could come back and perform in three languages and also really understand the difference between being Taiwanese and being Chinese. So I spent about eight months in China studying there and then also traveling through the country and decided that I definitely knew why I was Taiwanese and not Chinese and then left and went traveling in Southeast Asia, um, which is such a beautiful thing to do when you're in your early 20s. And um Then I just found myself in India. Like I was not planning on being in India, but I was backpacking in Southeast Asia for five months and was in Vietnam and thought, oh, I'm tired of traveling, but I'm not ready to go home. What should I do? And I thought, oh, maybe I'll go to India. But I didn't really want to backpack through India. So I thought, oh, what should I do? Maybe I'll study yoga and maybe I'll become a teacher and come back and teach teens in New York. And so I went and the shortest visa you can get was six months. So I went for six months and stayed um, 
primarily at an ashram in the south of India, in Kerala, called Shivananda Ashram, and uh, was work-study there. So I lived and worked as staff at that ashram, and then got my certification at the Vivekananda Ashram in Bangalore. And it was amazing. You know, I feel like my time in India, to be in a country where yoga has its roots was so powerful because not only did I learn about teaching yoga, but really learned about the spirituality of the culture, of the people, being in the landscape, just really helped kind of inform my understanding of, of yoga and understanding of wellness for myself. And so when I came back to New York, I bumped into a friend of mine who went to the same college as I did. I went to Sarah Lawrence College and She's a dancer, and she said, oh, I just got a job at a new high school. It's just ninth grade in the Bronx, and I'm going to be teaching them dance. And I was like, oh, I just got back from India. I'm a yoga teacher now, and so I really want to teach to teens. And she said, well, they're still looking for another teacher. Why don't you call them? And then four days later, I had my first job back in New York teaching yoga to teens. And I'm so grateful that my path has really unfolded and deepened so much since then. Um, I currently still teach teens. I teach teens in high school. I teach teens who are in detention centers. And that work is one of my most meaningful jobs that I have, um, sharing mindfulness with young people. And then also my... my intention and my mission of sharing wellness with people who maybe don't have access to yoga or wellness, who don't have the resources for it. I really want to make sure that yoga is as inclusive and as that diverse as possible. And so the populations I teach reflect that. And that gives my work and therefore my life a lot of meaning. Beautiful. I love that you followed your your intuition to even go to India and 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 you make it sound like it it was like step one I'll go to India step two maybe I'll you know learn yoga maybe I'll teach teens but what let's unpack that a little bit like what were you what were you either maybe grappling with or like was this part of a vision or had you had any experience with yoga before to to even lead to that kind of progression? So my first experience with yoga was in college. I went to art school and we didn't have a lot of requirements, but one of the requirements we did have was to take gym and they offered lots of different kinds of of, uh, physical activities like African dance and Pilates and yoga. So that was my first experience. I took a, a probably like a semester of yoga at college Um, and then maybe did some stretching at home or went to a few yoga classes, but it was never really directly in my mind. Um, And I like what you said about I was following my intuition because really going to China was really following my intuition in terms of like wanting to go out of the country and explore more. And there was like a voice inside me that was like, go to Beijing for a year. And I was at the height of performing poetry. I had a woman show that I was touring. Feedback, we came out with a CD, which is a big deal back in early 2000, having a CD come out. And so I was kind of leaving when I, I was really gaining momentum in doing spoken word. But then there was just something inside me that was like, go. And so I really trusted that voice and went to China, but really did not think that it would lead me to India. But I think that living in China with 
literally a billion people plus and being in like a situations that maybe weren't so comfortable and then going to Southeast Asia and having the complete freedom to travel and explore and meet up with other young people. It prepared me to be in India. It prepared me to be in an ashram setting where the schedule is 5.30 in the morning to 9 o'clock at night. It's very structured, very routine to be jostled among many people because there's India's quite populated just like China and to be okay with like all the sights the sounds the cultural immersion the differences the uncomfortability the amazing sights and places all of that was kind of a beautiful kind of potion that really brought me to India and made me be so open to whatever experience I had when I was there and it's interesting when I was taking a few classes in New York after I graduated college and before I left for China, I went to integral yoga and I just remember being in the bookstore and there is a chant that people chant, like a trip. Um, it's like a life giving chant that people chant when um, people pass from this life to another life or on people's birthdays when people are going on a voyage. And I just remember standing in the bookstore and like heard one of the staff chant it to a someone standing by the door. I guess she was leaving to go somewhere. And I didn't really know the full meaning of the chant then. I just remembered how beautiful it sounded. And then when I arrived to India at this ashram in, in Kerala, we did this chant every day. It was part of our daily chants. And I just remember being like, oh, I remember that sound. I remember that vibration. I remember that feeling of being soothed by it back in New York and reconnecting with it in India, it, w it was kind of an affirmation of like, you know, this is great that you're here. And even when I arrived at the ashram, I got there at night and they said, oh, you have to wake up at 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning the next morning. And I was parting my way through Southeast Asia, you know. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, okay, never meditated before. Oh, and then I walked out, the, the bell rang in the morning to summon people out of bed and walked down to the meditation hall, it was still dark, had no idea what I was doing. The Swami, the monk, was giving the instructions for meditation. So I like closed my eyes and we like sat for about half an hour, 40 minutes. And then the chanting started. And I opened my eyes and the sun is rising and lions are roaring from the next mountaintop. And it was literally like a hand clapped me on the chest. Like it was that visceral. And there was a voice from inside that said, this is why you left New York. And so my thought, I guess the surface thought was, I'll leave New York to go to Beijing to learn Mandarin so I can continue with spoken word. And I guess the divine had another plan for me. And I followed it really willingly and still to this day, you know, I want to get up early and meditate, really believe in the power of inner transformation through self-reflection, through self-care, through using yoga not only as a tool for wellness, but as a tool for social justice and really being able to take care of yourself and take care of your community, I think is super important. So I had met you during a, it was a, a training done through the Lineage Project, a nonprofit, and it was on trauma-informed yoga and mindfulness meditation. So that was my first time. I had done some work with teens before in kind of developing programs 
um, for low-income high school students in tech and entrepreneurship, actually. And I kept thinking, oh, there's this missing component of, of, of the inner empowerment piece, like the mindset and, and how they connect with their body. So that was what kind of led me to you. And, and so I'm curious, why, why teens? Like what, what motivated you to go down that path? And, and you work with, with teens in the court systems and detention centers, right? So, so my second question is, what have you seen result from, from teaching yoga and mindfulness? So when I was performing spoken word, I was also a teaching artist and I taught poetry and spoken word and visual art in schools. And I mostly then worked with elementary and middle schools because I was also in my early 20s and I look young. And so I kind of like always wanted to work with teens, but felt like I wanted to get to a place where I had more experience teaching young people and then also look a little older and feel a little older than than be ready to teach teens. I'm not exactly sure why exactly teenagers. If I reflect back on my own childhood and my own life, like my time as a teenager, like many teenagers, is like fraught with transition and trying to find your own identity and kind of navigating letting go of childhood and taking on more responsibility. And I think that time in one's life is so important this transitional period where you're going from being a child to a young adult and I think any tools and resources that you have to ground you and to not get stressed out is so important and I reflect back like oh if I had yoga as a teenager like how much more grounded would I have been and less anxious and probably better able to make better decisions and cope with some of the things that were going on in my life So when I came back from India and was starting to work with teens, I primarily worked with teens in high school, public high school, and then I was working with young people in foster care. And then from there, I really wanted to work with youth in detention. It was just kind of a natural process for me. Like the more I learned classroom management skills, the more I learned kind of to be in the seat of a teacher, I felt like ready to handle populations that might be more challenging. Not that the teens themselves were challenging, but the circumstances in certain teens' life, if you're talking about vulnerable youth and court-involved youth, they might have faced trauma or have uh, trauma in their home settings that could influence the way they act and behave. And so being able to be there in the classroom with them and be present for anything that arises, I feel like takes time and experience. Um, And I really enjoy working with youth. I mean, I think teens are super hysterical. They make me laugh all the time. They have such great insight. I learn so much from my young people. And especially because I work with populations that are considered vulnerable or they come from populations that were deemed back in the day, quote, high risk. We don't use that language anymore, but, you know, they live in environments and communities that might face educational challenges or or more violence or caretakers at home not being present. That presents a lot of opportunity for traumatic experiences. And I think with the young people that I teach, I see that, but I also see so much resilience and I see so much of them 
wanting to take control of their lives, wanting to take responsibility of their lives, and maybe not knowing how. So with my young people, a lot of them have anger control issues. A lot of them have tendency to really just react. And so they'll have staff or, or their juvenile counselors say to them, like, calm down, just calm down. And you, I think if they knew how to calm down, they would, right? They knew a way if they had some options rather than fighting, if they had some options rather than using the habits and the tools that they use, then perhaps they might find a different way to cope. Not to say that doing yoga is a magic cure or doing yoga and taking deep breaths all the time is a totally appropriate for whatever situation they're in, but at least it's another tool in their toolbox. And that's really what I hope that teenagers get out of the classes that I teach and I hope to provide is just some resources for them to cope with stress, some resources for them so that they can respond instead of react, so that they could be mindful, like you said, look within, so that they can take stock of, okay, what is it that I can be responsible for and what is it that I can let go of? so that they don't feel victimized, so that they can still gain more and more resiliency skills, so that they can move on from whatever circumstances they're in, for example, if they're locked up, and really be able to shine and thrive because the system will keep them down. Like our prison system wants to keep black and brown bodies locked up. And so how do we change that tide? And perhaps mindfulness can do that. And this is, it's a question of life or death. Like in the in that moment of do you react or, or respond in a way that can, um, it, like when you're, when you're in this kind of fight or flight mode, sometimes you can't think. Oh, and, for sure. Yeah. You're, you're, your frontal lobe, your prefrontal cortex literally shuts down. And so you have no reasoning, no logical thinking, because when you're in fight or flight, you're accessing the reptilian brain. You're accessing that part of your brain that's like, just survive. So all your logic and reason shuts down. So if you ask a young person, why'd you do that? And he, he or she says, I don't know. They're not trying to be rude. They really don't know. You know, sometimes they have no idea why they did a certain thing, especially if they have had traumatic experiences in the past. That also will affect how the prefrontal lobe develops. So if you look at kind of the adolescent brain or and how the adolescent brain develops, you can see how trauma affects it. It's really fascinating. What are some f- favorite stories of maybe students you've worked with where maybe like they went in thinking, oh, this is not for me. <laughs> the, the, you know, this, this is, I'm not even going to try this because it's maybe so different from, from what they would have generally done. And then may, maybe they surprised you. That happens quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> especially with teen boys, I think, especially in um, communities where, is very hyper-masculinized. Teen boys will say, oh, yoga's for girls, yoga's gay, I don't want to do yoga, I don't want to forward bend, you know, I, I mm-hmm. 
always meet my students where they are and talk about how yoga can be a tool to calm the nervous system and to let go of stress and to stretch the body because sometimes our young people, all they do is sit all day long. And especially in detention centers, I walk in and they're lying on the couch and just watching TV. And so they don't have a lot of outside programs coming in. So I think that experiencing it is the best way to have buy-in. So sometimes I'll have young people say, oh, I'll just watch. And once in a while that'll happen and then they'll jump in. But I always try to encourage them to just try it, that they can always leave the math. They don't want to. I say to a young person, try it. If you think it's whack, don't do it again. You know, like, but try it, right? And so most of the time, the young person will try it and they'll find some sort of benefit, even in taking a deeper breath or stretching their muscles because they were sore from working out in the gym the day before. Or with meditation, I think especially with meditation, the young people have really gave feedback on like how they feel afterwards and how different they feel even if we do a very short, say, two-minute meditation, how much that changes their nervous system. And even sometimes just doing a two-minute meditation gives them two minutes of of literal silence and a detention center that's actually very precious because there's huge locks and keys and the doors are always opening closing the walkie-talkies are going off all the time staff might be talking other teens might be talking and so I allow that kind of chatter and creative chatter in my class but when it comes to meditation I really try to have everyone be respectful if we're doing that time and in, in to be try to be mindful and quiet primarily so that people can experience silence. And some people are really uncomfortable with silence. But then sometimes silence can be so soothing. It gives your ears a break. It gives the whole body a break. And then you can really tune in with the breath and tune in with what's going on in the mind. And young people have said, you know, like, oh, I'll practice this meditation in my room. Or I remember a young, a young man, he had a phone call with his mom. And the phone call didn't go well. And so he said he went back to his room and practiced his breathing. He said he never have, has noticed his breath before. But he practiced his breathing because he noticed how angry he was and how he was shaking because he was so angry. And before then, he would like punch the wall. And so things like that where it's like really concrete, it's like how can you use this in your life? I'm really interested in that. You know, because I think people can go take a yoga class and, and go get like tons of instruction. But if we can't utilize that off the mat, if we can't do that for ourselves in these small and remarkable ways, then then um, I think there's a little benefit that's lost. You know, I think it's really important for the young person to know, oh, when I'm starting to get angry, this is what I can do. When the person is pissing me off, this is what I can do. If the judge is is saying something about my case that I don't like, do I have to say something? And if I don't say something, what's the consequence? What's not the consequence? You know, we, I deal with young people that they live in an environment where if you don't fight back, it says something about you and your character. Sometimes parents encourage their children to fight back. I mean, it's just part of the culture. So I'm not trying to necessarily change that to say like, oh, take a deep breath and never fight. But it's how do I get into the circumstances that I get into? You know, do I even need to be associating with certain people that I associate with? So those kinds of questions that might arise that they might 
hopefully reflect on for themselves comes out of their mindfulness practice so that their mindfulness practice is both utilizing the tools like breath work, like yoga asana, like meditation, but it's also deeper and taking into reflecting on like, how is my, how, is my life going the way I want it to go? What are some better choices I can make in my life? How do I handle stress? And why do I always have that habit of handling stress the ways I do? So hopefully the young people take some of that with them. That was incredible. And I really acknowledge the work that you do because I've been in those workshops. And even when I was thrown in there trying to manage a classroom with, you know, fake participants even, and um, and the things that you don't know about in terms of working with, with um, people who have faced trauma, like the fact that when you ask someone to close their eyes for a meditation, that that is, that that may or may not be comfortable because of the notion that they, you know, always have to be on the lookout for, right. for danger and that the ability to close your eyes and feel comfortable and safe is a very privileged place to be. Mm -hmm. And, and so for me, just to get that present, you know, for a lot of people, they're like, Oh, I, I can't do meditation, but you know, it is, it, there, there's so much in it mm -hmm. that, that we when we take the time to think about it in terms of um, how it affects us on a nervous system standpoint, but also who who can do meditation comfortably is is just incredible. It just cuts across like what you said, social justice and um, and equity and all of that. So so thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. And I want to say just one thing, if that's okay. Like I think it's really important to talk about mindfulness through this trauma-informed lens just because then you'll be more aware of your languaging in, in terms of giving instruction or even the way you talk when you interact with your students and giving options, like you said, like mm -hmm. to close the eyes or not um, and to really be able to kind of pick up on the energy and the temperature of the room because sometimes trauma, you can see it. Like I see kids who have cuts, you know, they're cutting and they have scars all over their arms. But sometimes the trauma is is way deep inside, you know, and I think especially with mindfulness, which talks about being open and being free and being liberated, you can only get there if you really look at reality. And sometimes reality means you have to be super vulnerable and being able to hold space for that vulnerability is really important as a teacher. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to dive into the mini intuitive reading that I did for Chati. We'll be right back. Do you have a story or a comment you'd like to share? I'd love to hear from you. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. You can also connect with me directly at my own website, beingmypurpose.com. Do you remember what we used to say about running? Oh, somebody bigger had to chase you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm BJ Smith, and that's exactly how I felt about running most of my life. That was until one fall day in 2011. I was chasing my son in the backyard when... Something had to change. This was the beginning of my journey to becoming a runner. One that would take me from couch to marathon in less than two years. Now I'm setting my sights higher. 
This is 16 Weeks, a new podcast from Mouth Media Network, following me on my journey to get into shape while keeping up my obligations at work and still being there for my family. And I'm not doing it alone. My name is Keith Smart. I won a silver medal in Beijing. I'm a sport and exercise psychologist at ECU. Coach athletes all over the world. and I'll talk with experts about challenges all runners face, like figuring out how to make time to run, what to eat, and how to train. You got so dehydrated. Your heart rate went up and it felt like you were working so hard. Everything's trainable, whether it's run form, strength. That's all trainable, and so is our thinking. Subscribe now to 16 Weeks on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you find great podcasts. Together, we can do this. So we're back, and I'm here with Chati Chu, who is a yoga instructor and founder of One Love Wellness. So we had just talked about her whole journey becoming a yoga teacher and her work uh, with youth teaching in uh, really all around New York City and, um, and how she leads international retreats as well. So now we're going to be diving into the mini intuitive reading that I've done for her. So how this works is I had meditated on your name beforehand, your name and email address, which was what I had. And I then set the intention to receive information that is the highest guidance for you at this time. And what that means is given everything that's going on, what is the one thing that I can share with you that can help bring out who you are on a soul level and that can help you move forward in the way that you want to move forward. So once I meditate, I quieted my mind and then I'm kind of open to channeling. So I'm fully conscious at my laptop and these words just flow through me and I type. It's like dictation. And so a lot of the times everything comes through as a metaphor or um, complex imagery might come through and all of it I might see, I might uh, feel emotion. I might know things and I'm just typing the whole time. So for everyone, I also get an action step. So this is something for you to reflect on, journal on. And usually I see these readings as um, as a jumping off point for discussion to really allow yourself to reflect and just kind of see how things uh, may relate to one another when, when you may not think it relates. So um, a couple of other things. One is that everything's written in third person, so it refers to you as she, her, those types of pronouns, and refers to me as you, because I'm the one seeing all of this. There are some words that are in all caps, and what that means is these particular words are just emphasized. They're more important, and my visual signal is I'll hold my fingers up like this, and for the listeners, I will say all caps after that particular word. So it just means it's more important given all the words that come, came out. And it's around two, two or three paragraphs long. So as I share this with you, just allow yourself to follow the imagery and allow images to pop up in your mind, thoughts to pop up. They may not relate to one another. Um, and we'll just, you know, afterwards we'll be talking about some of those things that come up for you. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. So for you, I asked, what is the highest guidance for her at this time? And it says, you saw an image of a subway train and it felt like home. She was doing yoga in it, almost like someone doing gymnastics. 
like one of those balance beam routines along the length of the subway car. It felt like she was bridging two very different things, but done in a way that garnered attention, a sense of respect, awe, and appreciation for the entertainment value even. Like the people who dance and and entertain on the subway. There is a sense of making it a beautiful art form, taking it outside of its perceived bounds, all caps, and celebrating it, bringing it to people who might not see dance in a theater, but perhaps they can see it engaging with the subway and its environment right in front of someone. And so the image that I got is a continuation of this metaphor. You saw the length of the subway as a graphical representation. As you zoomed out, it curved, creating a giant circle made out of the subway train. It resembled the earth, a globe, a symbol of the world in its diversity. Then you saw people pouring out of the subway cars and pouring in, creating a mesmerizing effect of people populating the entire earth. It felt like a homecoming and an extension of sharing love in a place that people think to be anonymous and full of separation. If she looks closer, this is where all the action takes place. And so the action step is to reflect on opportunities to bridge what she is passionate about with the global diversity of what the subway represents. There is a media element here of taking away stereotypes of where yoga and awareness is done. It is, in fact, everywhere and belongs everywhere. And so that's the end of the mini reading. I'd love to hear how it resonates, if at all, and what it brings up for you. So thoughts, memory, stories, ideas, whatever bubbles up for you. It was very beautiful. I really love that image of the subway car and how it wraps around to form the globe. It kind of is, um, I think the reading is really in line with how I view teaching mindfulness, you know, being able to bring it, like I said before, to populations and communities that maybe don't have access to it. We, we sometimes take, or like my friends and I, we take self-care very seriously. We talk about self-care a lot, but not everyone talks in that language. Not everyone has the ability to even take the time to think about their own self-care. So I think that demystifying yoga as kind of only accessible to a certain population who might have the money and the means to pay for self-care and to really kind of get to the heart of it, which is a resetting of the nervous system. I think everyone can do that. 
um, and doesn't necessarily have to be through yoga. It could be through any kind of wellness, watching a sunset, doing Tai Chi, dancing and feeling like sweat drip down your back because the song is so good. You know, just any kind of wellness like that, that people can access. I think that's super important. And so I love this idea of kind of wherever you are in the world, you can have that. Or wherever in the world you are, you should have the privilege and access for that. And I think too that it really calls and speaks to me because New York is my home. I've lived here for many years and I love New York so much and it's my base and I travel quite a bit around the world teaching yoga and have doing yoga projects in other countries that it really resonates kind of like both this Brooklyn being and then this global traveler and this global seeker as well. So I really like that image. Um, even for myself, like the doors opening, I'm home, the doors opening, I'm on, I'm going to JFK, getting on a plane. So I really like that image a lot. And I think that the action step and kind of thinking about how I can keep talking about yoga in this social justice lens, keep talking about wellness through a, a trauma informed lens, I think is really key. And I think the yoga community in general is starting to kind of also open up to it, really understanding that it's a space that not everyone feels comfortable in for people of color, for men, for for people who identify different genderly, like so anything like that, age-wise, body type, abilities. So I think being able to open up the community of yoga to be more inclusive can only be a good thing. And that image of kind of the round subway car, um, I think will remind me about that. The the reading also brought up the um, the notion of, and I think what was going through my mind when I was doing the reading was the dancers and the entertainers on the subway and for New Yorkers out there, it's it's kind of the showtime <laughs> people, and and it was the the idea of bringing an art form to be accessible. Like one would one would never think to have dance in the way that they do it right in front of you while you're taking the subway versus kind of detached, you know, on a stage where you have to, you know buy tickets for and there's something about that level of connection and it's right it's it's where you are mm -hmm. that that was um it felt like an important distinction of of kind of merging it everything like maybe that yoga doesn't even need to be in the studio and actually what you do on Connie Island on a beach <laughs> teaching yoga there kind of puts it on its head a little bit yeah, and I think, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, who is a Buddhist Vietnamese monk, he talks about daily acts of mindfulness. So can you be mindful when you brush your teeth, when you drink a cup of tea, when you speak to your beloved? And I think we kind of disassociate sometimes mindfulness or yoga with your life. It's like, oh, I'm going to take a yoga class. But how do you do yoga off the mat? You know, how do you practice 
being gracious, being generous, being forgiving, letting go when you are on the MTA during rush hour and you're stuffed under someone's armpit. You know, when do you practice your yoga when your boss is piling extra work on you or when your kids are complaining or, you know, all these daily things in life. I really, especially teaching, I try to bring that into my classroom, like to make it relatable. How do you practice off the mat? Because an hour and a half on your yoga mat, you could feel amazing. You could feel great. And the moment you step out of yoga class, you can be, you know, you could suck your teeth and have side eye at someone because they just bumped into you because they were texting on the sidewalk, you know? And so how do you preserve your sense of peace and dignity when circumstances around you are always challenging that? And that really is the practice of yoga. So it's not about putting your leg behind your head or what's the next fancy pose I can do. It's really about how do I integrate this feeling of wellness, this ability to transform in everyday moments. Mm. And actually, during the break, our producer was talking about about how yoga was a little difficult, and that it was you know even the notion of doing a pose and having maybe you might hear someone move or you might hear you know a siren go by or something, and it kind of takes you out of the moment, or or even like the thought of being with you and your thoughts and that's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you have for, for people who may think, you know, what I don't like, maybe I tried yoga and it's not for me. Well, I think I have two different streams of advice. One is if you tried it and it's not for you, I totally respect that. And it's not for you. You know, like I was telling the producer during the break, like as long as you move your body, as long as you find ways to incorporate health and wellness into your lifestyle it doesn't have to be yoga right it could be whatever else it could be it could be kickboxing it could be dance it could be tai chi it could be just breathing for a few breaths right before you eat a meal right so it doesn't have to be yoga i think yoga is such a buzzword now and it's so popular and it's it's a trend more than anything else it's a billion dollar business that is sometimes takes away from really the essence, which is kind of to get to know yourself and how to find ways to live a happy, vibrant life. And it doesn't have to be through yoga poses on a mat. How to live a happy, vibrant life is you reconciling with a person that you had resentment with for 10 years, right? And so however you can access those parts. The other stream of advice I have is to try different classes and different instructors to, and to find a style that might fit with you. Some people really like power yoga or Bikram yoga or um, yoga to the people, whatever it is. There's lots of different styles of yoga. The style of yoga I teach is called Hatha Flow. It's a amalgamation of a few different styles. And I always teach class with a theme. So I really want to bring in the spiritual aspect of yoga, to bring in yoga philosophy, Buddhist themes to talk about how to live this integrated life. Because for me, that's what the essence of yoga is. But if you're not really feeling yoga, it's all good. <laughs> you hear that? It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I think we suffer because we try to fit inside of a box, right? And that's in anything. You want to be, you know, like liked by your friends, by your colleagues. You want to do something because you think it's good for you. You know, my friend drinks like a lot of like 
green green juices hates it and i'm like just stop drinking the green juice like try something else right because if you're not feeling happy while you do it if you kind of resent it or if you're not feeling connected to it then that has influence on your nervous system so you're kind of kind of countering the benefits that you might get out of it you know i have a yoga student an adult yoga student he comes to class and he's mad at himself the entire time and I'm like, well, maybe yoga's not for you, <laughs> you know, because, you know, he's mad that he can't do this pose. He's mad because he can't be still. He's mad because the person next to him is doing it better than him. And I'm like, what's the benefit? Like, what benefits are you getting? And he's like, none. Week after week, he's getting no benefit. So I was like, maybe just try something else, right? And I think working with teens gives me this beautiful way to try to not take things personally in my life, you know? And so I can really humbly say to someone, like, maybe it's my class. Maybe my class is not for you. Or maybe just this practice of yoga is not for you. There's other ways that you can be mindful in your life than stepping barefoot on a mat. All right. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Chati about her vision for the world. That's a big question. We'll be right back. If you're a business decision maker, you should listen to this. The show you're listening to is produced by Mouth Media Network, a podcasting network focused on the business of lifestyle. Because of our team's background and deep connections with brands, influencers, and ecosystems, we offer a tremendous opportunity to bring your company's message and products in front of decision makers from several verticals, including fashion, beauty, travel, materials and textiles, health and fitness, and lifestyle. Reach out to the Mouth Media team now at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Let's explore how we can collaborate and make Mouth Media Network a meaningful resource to share your message and grow your business. Again, that's podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. All right, so we're back, and we're going to start off with a pretty big question. And Shati actually had a little bit of time to think about it during the break. Actually, just kidding. She didn't. <laughs> I'm still pondering it. It's a huge <laughs> question. What do I envision for the world? Yeah. Well, if you see anything on the news, you know the state of our world as it is, and there's so much trauma happening in the world, and so much hate and violence and misunderstanding and my vision for the world is really I want to see less suffering and I think the only way to do that is to address and take care and embrace the suffering that you have inside and I think that in order to have more understanding between countries, between religions, between opposing ideas about sexuality and abortion and rights of many kinds. It has to do with understanding your own belief system and understanding the ways that you might have suffered. So even if we don't agree with other people, we can allow other people to have their own opinions and to have other people have their own story. 
and to not try to impose what we think is best on other people. And that's interpersonal and also on a global level. And the common theme is that we we all suffer. Yeah, no matter what color skin you are, no matter what age you are, no matter if you're in Iran or in India, wherever you are, you know, and so I think that under our current administration and seeing all the things that are happening in other countries and how there's just so many decisions based on fear and based on isolation and based on misunderstanding of cultures and differences. And I think it has such an effect on us personally. I have to stop watching my news feed sometimes because like the, my nervous system is just like on high alert when I'm reading all these news stories. So how do you address the suffering in your own life? How do you make a connection with someone? How do you reach across and be friendly with someone who might not have your same opinion? doesn't mean you have to be friends with them, but how do you be friendly with them? And I think if we learn that on a global level, then we would have less violence. And I don't sometimes think that's a little naive and then I have to remind myself that's the only way we can, we, we can do, right? We can protest, we can march, we can write to our Congress people, that's what we should do. And at the same time, we have to look at the ways that we get upset and we get angry and we get judgmental and critical. And how does that translate in our interpersonal connections and relationships? Start with ourselves and those closest to us and let it ripple out. Yeah, that's the hope. But I'm going to go home and think about that question more because it's still resonating with me. What in your a dream world would you, Chati, get to create and do to kind of reach that vision? Maybe it's like a short term or like, you know, however many years from now, but what would you like to see? Maybe, maybe in New York City, let's start there. You're coming hard with these questions, Julie. (laughs) (laughs) I think something that's really beautiful that has come out of dealing with our current politics here in this country or even in New York City is that people are talking to each other more. People are standing up for each other more. You see those videos that go viral of like, you know, a young woman standing up for someone who's wearing a head wrap or head scarf on the train and this is a complete stranger. Or people saying like, not in, in our city, that should not happen in New York, you know, because, it's, you know, we live a little bit in a bubble where New York City is very diverse, but still injustice happens. So I think anytime you can have dialogue and true authentic communication is super important because only really through mindful dialogue can we create the change. We can reach a person. Screaming and yelling at someone is not going to change their mind. Pleading your case is not going to change their mind. But having true, insightful, and honest dialogue and continuing to have that dialogue and show up in your communities, I would really like to see that. I'd like to see more kind of intersectionality in terms of like, you know, talking about different ways different people can come together to talk about the same issue 
and to be more inclusive when you talk about those issues. I think it's incremental change. So I think that too is something we have to keep in mind that we're not going to see huge systemic changes overnight or even maybe in our generation. But you see the people, the freedom riders and people who fought for civil rights, you know, it has gotten a little bit better. And then the needle moves and then it moves back and it perhaps moves a tiny bit again. And to still remain hopeful with those small moments of change even as we're trying to fight for larger institutional change so that you don't feel burnt out in your own body, that you don't give up in yourself. Um, I think that's really important to remember too. The way you painted that picture is a very beautiful thing. And we'll just sink into that. So this is an opportunity for you to share some final words of wisdom and something that's important to you. So it can be a cause, it can be uh, something that you're doing in your business, whatever it is that you want our audience to know about. Well, I'm not sure if I have any final words of wisdom, but I do just want to express my gratitude for having me on this show. And it's been really wonderful to talk with you and reflect on some of these lofty and sometimes weighty matters. So I I really appreciate that. And since I talked about Lineage Project before, I want to give a small plug for them. We are a small nonprofit that gladly accepts donations. And I'm also leading a retreat with two of my colleagues from Lineage at Omega this October. And so you can find more information about that online. It would be great if you are interested in learning tools on how to work with vulnerable youth or develop your own mindfulness practice. It's a great time to be in retreat in this beautiful place upstate New York at Omega. And I also teach retreats and workshops on my own through my business, One Love Wellness. So you can visit me on my website and to learn more about the things I do. I also want to make one last plug since it's getting to be warmer now in summertime. And if you're in New York and in Brooklyn, in Coney Island on Mondays, I teach out on the beach 7 to 8 p.m. It's a way to connect with nature, to see the sunset to hear the boom boxes. Yes, they still sometimes people use boom boxes in Coney Island. Yeah, come out and experience the beautiful culture of Coney Island. Well, Chati, it was so great having you on the show. And um, I always love talking with you and hearing about your perspective and your journey. So together we can create this vision for the world. Yes. <laughs> together, the, the two of us and also all of our listeners, we're all in this together. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And if there's one thing you can take away from this show, it's to move your body. It's to get in touch with your, your own self and, and think about the, the, the ways you can impact social justice as well. So until then, be on the lookout for all possibilities. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. This show is produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. No portion of the show may be distributed or published without the expressed written permission of the producers. Thank you for joining us.
This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.